spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a Lifetime Achievement Award edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Alabama win over Auburn is like a mother's child. It's pretty even when it's ugly. And as things go, Alabama's 49-27 to win uh, Saturday was, well, it was pretty satisfying. So congrats to Alabama fans for resetting the bragging right calendar back to 365. That was a nice achievement. Saturday marked Alabama's 15th consecutive 10-win season, eclipsing Florida State at 14. That actually is a tremendous achievement. It's a historical achievement. Uh, Clemson has the only other active uh, streak, and it sits at 11. Uh, PSA to Alabama fans, just take a moment and enjoy that. Just relish that 15 consecutive 10-win seasons, not averaging 10, but 10 for 15 consecutive seasons is pretty damn amazing. It's also an active streak, so we have an opportunity to extend it. But please enjoy that. Don't take it for granted. And, you know, last, I guess, on the accomplishment meter, Alabama has an approximate 15% chance of making the playoffs, depending upon which sort of media heads uh, you're listening to. Hey, I'm going to say Alabama fans, don't get all twisted about that. Enjoy that for what it is. You know, by itself, it's kind of delicious uh, for all those who give Alabama uh, rent-free headspace. That's eating them alive. And just just enjoy that. It's great for Todd fans who know that Alabama really doesn't deserve to make the playoffs, but appreciate that there's no playoff talk that doesn't include Alabama. So that's fun, even if the Tide doesn't make the playoffs. And you know what? It's also fun for those Alabama fans that fantasize about a healthy Alabama team coming together, making one last run in the playoffs this season. That's kind of fun, too. So wherever you kind of fall in that meter, just enjoy the hell out of the fact that there's still a chance. You know, this only happens due to the Alabama brand, the Nick Saban name. And so it's really like cashing in on a lifetime achievement, you know, before all the music stops. So, again, just enjoy that for what it is. All right, let's take on offense. Let's go. Saturday's performance was perhaps the Tide's best, most balanced performance uh, of the year. I think that was sort of my perspective watching the game. Uh, We start with quarterbacks like like we do. Uh, Bryce was 20 of 30. So what's that? Two out of three, two-thirds, 66%, 67% passing. Uh, That's impressive. Uh, 343 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, He had an interception, but it was a little bit suspect. He also had, was that, 48 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. So that was nice. Uh, The downfield passes, we'll talk about receivers a little bit, but the downfield passes to Burton and Brooks uh, were really nice. It really starts to look like, uh, and Coach even commented, that Bryce's strength is, is, is coming back and that he is back to or near to full health, which is nice. I think the undercurrent theme of this season has been Bryce's shoulder and uh, the fact that he's now coming back into health. is good for the kid uh, and certainly good for uh, any sort of aspirations the Tide has, be it playoffs or bowl game. 
wide receivers. There were nine receivers who caught passes. That's been a theme throughout the season, too. There's a, a distribution of uh, passing, which is in some regards good and in some regards frustrating because <laughs> who's the number one receiver? Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks stepped out uh, again. He had four catches. I think there were another receiver with four, but uh, he also had 73 and a touchdown. So that really positions Ja'Cory as the number one receiver on the day. Uh, Burton has really started to make strides, and uh, he had three catches for 87 yards. Again, both of those fellas had uh, long passes, long touchdown, uh, or long passes, one being a touchdown, one to set up a touchdown. Uh, Kendrick Law uh, continues to progress and impress. Uh, he had a couple of nice grabs. Same with Isaiah Bond and uh, Treshawn Holden sort of dusted himself off, and um, he's sort of been MIA for a handful of weeks, and he had a big catch for a touchdown as well. Uh, Robbie Oots had two catches for 29, so that was fun to see. Uh, it was fun to see how he was deployed, uh, his usage, usage there. Uh, Cameron Latou had one for 18. He also had a drop earlier in the game that I really wish he would have uh, reeled in. Cam Latou, I really enjoy his game. Uh, I was hoping that he would build upon last year's performance. Uh, he never really seemed to have gotten on track this season with uh, injuries coming out of fall camp and such. Uh, running backs, I thought, were were good. Uh, Jameer Gibbs was 17 uh, carries for 76 yards. He had a touchdown. He had a, a lot of yard, a lot of runs sort of up the middle, short yards, and that's not the greatest way to deploy him, but he was effective. He did move the ball. Uh, and so even so, we run him up the middle and he gets four or five yards on first down. We'll take that. We should take that. Now we expect, you know, Jameer and his athleticism and his speed, his breakaway, uh, when he gets a four-yard gain, it's a little bit disappointing, but it doesn't matter whoever's running the ball. If you can get four or five yards on first down, that's what you want to do. That's the name of the game, uh, especially in sort of the run-the-ball mentality. Uh, so I thought Jameer had a very, very good uh, nice day. I liked his late touchdown, and uh, certainly uh, that made a difference to those that were uh, holding tickets. Jace had a very nice day. Uh, another, Again, just another physical performance. He had 11 uh, for 44 in a touchdown. He went out at one point with injury, uh, and Roy Dell, Roy Dell came in. His one carry on the game was a five-yard touchdown, so it was nice to see Roy Dell come in ready immediately, uh, ready to sort of take up the slack. Uh, Jace came back and performed very, very well. Uh, it looked like when he left the game, uh, he got twisted and, it, you know, he broke a knee last year, and so there was some sensitivity. Is, is he going to be okay? Is this an ankle? Is this a knee? I don't know. How tentative is he going to be when he comes back? And uh, he ran with uh, a lot of authority even when he returned. I wouldn't have said this if you if you quizzed me Saturday morning, for example, on our Zoom call. Uh, I would have said, absolutely, Jace is going to come back. I think we had that conversation about a handful of players. When that injury happened and he came back, it made me wonder, he can go. This is third year out of high school. Uh, he, he did have a significant knee injury last year, and then here he goes down again. Uh, fortunately, it was not a significant injury. He could come back. But does that make him think, hey, there's a fragility at the running back uh, position. You only have so many carries. Does that make him think about potentially going? I think it does. Which way does he go? I have no idea. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd entertain that in a way now that I wouldn't have 24 hours ago. I'll say that. Uh, overall, I thought the offensive line played well. Uh, Seth started at uh, center. He was injured. He was taken out, but then he did come back and he returned. So it looked like uh, he was in good uh, good shape. Tyler Booker played. He rotated. 
as he has. Uh, he's going to be one of Alabama's best offensive linemen. Well, I think he's one of the best this season. He's going to certainly be one of the best next season. He's only a true freshman. Uh, I thought the offensive line as a whole uh, played very well. I thought they played as a unit uh, probably as, as well as we've seen them all season. Uh, maybe you go back to the Tennessee game, but I thought uh, I thought the offensive line Saturday played better. Uh, you could call it quality of opponent. I don't know. Uh, but I thought the offensive line played uh, better Saturday against Auburn than they did even against Austin, Austin P a week ago. So there's your quality of opponent. Uh, I think it's the line continues to uh, progress. Again, we wish it were week four that we were saying this instead of, you know, week 12. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, I think there's a lot that this Alabama squad and these players can build upon uh, for the bowl season as well as uh, for next season, a day, spring game, all that good stuff. Let's flip the field and talk defense. Uh, it was good and bad or bad and good, depending upon how you want to look at it. Uh, Alabama held Auburn to four of 14 on third downs. That's very, very good. Uh, two of two on fourth downs. That's less good. Allowed 395 yards. Uh, well, that seems a bigger number than we'd want to allow. Uh, only 77 yards passing allowed. Hey, that's really good. Uh, but you got to measure up to that 395 one way or the other. So that means 318 yards were allowed rushing. That's terrible. Uh, that's absolutely terrible. That's the most that an Alabama defense has allowed. Uh, since a certain uh, Georgia State came to town. Um, ironically, that was the game Alabama played before Auburn uh, back uh, at that point in time, nearly a decade ago. If you don't remember the Georgia State game, you will remember the Tenhorn game. That was uh, the same game we're talking about here. And the irony, I'll say, is the similarity between uh, Georgia State back then and Auburn on Saturday. Uh, just Georgia State played a triple option, uh, whereas Auburn did not. It was more of just a, a running uh, quarterback. But again, there's similarities. You know that they're going to run the ball. You just don't know who's going to run it, and you don't know which direction uh, it's going to go. Robbie Ashford, uh, Auburn quarterback, uh, ended up finishing with 121 rushing yards. Uh, Jaquez, uh, Jarquez Hunter uh, was really the star of the running game for Auburn, uh, 130, uh, 134. And in Tank Bigsby, probably the focal point of the Alabama defense, he had 63. And uh, so there are multiple plays where, uh, where Auburn had two or three sort of runners uh, in the game, not unlike what you would see in a triple option. And uh, the Alabama defense, it was a different era. It was different players. It was different coaches. But fast forward today, uh, there's something about not knowing who's going to run the ball and which direction in which they're going to run the ball uh, really stymies uh, defenses and, and really gives defenses fits. You know, for my money, uh, shadow the quarterback, stack the box, make Robbie pass, all of these things. Uh, Ashford was 11 for 23, 48% passing. And so why not sort of force you to, to, to beat, force him to beat you with his arm? Um, I don't have answers to, to all of those questions. I, although I would speculate that maybe it's personnel based, um, Alabama is significantly more talented in the back end. Uh, defensive line is not a position of strength, not a position of depth, uh, although we hoped and sort of forecasted that it could be. Uh, but, you know, I even wrote my notes, damn it, you got to mix it up. Even if it's not a position uh, of strength, you've got to mix it up. And let's talk about individual players on defense. Uh, Dante Lawson, I think we introduced him last week as a star on next year's defense. He had nine tackles. Uh, Brian Branch had eight tackles. He had one uh, was in on eight tackles. He had one for a loss. 
Brian Branch would be the guy that you would take out to bring in another lineman. And so Brian Branch is probably one of the better defenders on the team. Uh, likely he goes pro and is in and forecasted as uh, one of the one or two top safeties taken uh, in the NFL. That's who you're taking off the field uh, to switch back to a regular defense and bring in an, another defensive lineman. So you're trading a DJ Dale or uh, Jamar Latham uh, or a Jamil Burroughs. You're trading that player for a Brian Branch. And I get the heft and the body size and all of that stuff. You know, maybe a Tim Smith, right? You're trading that player, that type of player, uh, for Brian Branch. And frankly, Brian Branch is a much more dynamic player, uh, depending upon what uh, the defense is going to do. So it's uh, I, I can I cannot like the decision, and especially in hindsight. I can also understand a we necessarily play to play to play. We don't know what they're going to do. Let's put our most defend uh, most uh, variable defenders on the field, most versatile defenders uh, on the field, and that's where you land with Branch. So, trying to look at both sides there, though not excusing three hundred eleven seven hundred yards that uh, Auburn was able to achieve running the ball. So. Toa Toa, you know, for my money, I, I hate to be mad at the kid because uh, some games he is just outstanding, uh, but he's frustrating because he'll be outstanding one week and he'll be AWOL the next. And uh, as we've sort of watched the season as it's progressed, I, I think this is the most Toa Toa stat line that I think you could come up with. He was in on uh, eight tackles. So we had eight sort of assist uh, tackles uh, assisted, uh, but he had four, only four of those were solo and he had half a sack. And so uh, he's in on a lot of activity. He just doesn't own a lot of uh, uh, of the uh, the, the tackles uh, and activity. And so I know that's probably a jerky thing for me to say, but uh, look at the stat line through all the throughout the season. I think we even commented a week or two ago uh, that his solo to total tackles is always about half, whereas you have other players where it's they own, if you will, more of the tackles, more of the tackles are solo. I think, I think eight of, for comparison, his running mate at the inside linebacker position, Deontay Lawson, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I think eight of his nine tackles were solo. Whereas Toa Toa, four of his eight were solo. And I think those numbers uh, sort of play out. It is representative of Toa Toa being near the ball, just not owning the action. So again, we've beat that horse. We've seen it uh, play out and, uh, you know, would rather him be near the action than not. But at any rate, uh, Will Anderson five. Now this is a, a Will Anderson stat line that we like to see. Uh, we've not seen many of these stat lines this season. Uh, five tackles, uh, two sacks, three for loss, three tackles for loss, uh, and two quarterback hurries. So he's you know the the old sort of Dick Vitale stat sheet stuffer. Uh, Will Anderson was able to do that. Uh, Saturday, DJ Dale had a fumble recovery. It wasn't, uh, it was sort of an unforced error. Uh, error. The uh, uh, Auburn running back, or Jarquez, ran into his own man, uh, sort of the, the rear end, knocked the ball out. And, um, and there you have it. Uh, I did sort of get a kick out of, and if you've listened uh, to the podcast for a while, this, this will resonate with you. But I guess that makes uh, two out of three years that a player's rear end has, has, created a, a turnover. Uh, we talked talk about uh, uh, Najee having, a, uh, having a, a ball sort of 
bat off his, his rear end uh, and the Auburn defender, of course, in very Auburn format, uh, picked it up and uh, or picked it out of the air and ran in for a touchdown. And then here we have, uh, you know, an Auburn running back uh, with the ball sort of swinging out, hitting the the tight end or hitting the, the blocker sort of in the rear end and not knocking the ball out. So a couple of missed leg days and a couple less uh, turnovers in these games, I guess. I don't know. That's my joke. Let's talk about uh, special teams. Will, Will Reichert, uh, smack talking after making a tackle on the opening kickoff, almost makes up for Will Reichert having to make a tackle uh, on an opening kickoff. Uh, it was certainly fun to see, but it's frustrating when you realize, hey, we need to tackle them well before they get to Reichert. Reichert, uh, we love the guy. Glad he's coming back. Uh, great decision that he made. We support that. But he doesn't need to be racking up tackles. Um, he had no field goals on the day. And uh, I'm not going to get too mad when a kicker has no field goals, especially when the team uh, puts up seven touchdowns. And Riker followed all of those up with made uh, PAT. So that is phenomenal. We are super happy to have Will Riker back in the fold for next season. Uh, James Burnup was three punts for uh, a net of 136. Uh, he averaged 45.3 with a long of 47. So that means there's a, a very tight distribution, uh, a low uh, standard deviation in his distances, and so that's nice to see. You want consistency from a punter, uh, so it was good to get to see that. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, uh, here's a couple stats uh, that, uh, it, you know, again, if you've listened for a while, you know these are frustrating to me. Uh, Jameer Gibbs had 59 uh, kickoff return yards, and Ja'Cory Brooks had 57 uh, kickoff uh, return yards, so that's a net of 116 across the two. And that, and the first note I wrote down is that these are mostly uh, empty yards. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to say that out loud. Let's go back and look at the numbers and, and let's sort of validate. And it actually turns out it's right. It is mostly uh, just not as not as gross as I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to give you a lot of numbers here. And so we'll just kind of step these through. Uh, we'll talk about Gibbs first. His first kickoff return was 10 yards to the 45. And so he got the ball at the 35, returned it to uh, the 45. And so getting the ball at the 35 is a win uh, over the 25. And then taking it to the 45 certainly is a win as well. So um, I, will, uh, I will definitely credit those as, as positive sort of earned yards, if you will. Um, uh, the next was, uh, the, the 25 to the 28, uh, you know, you're going to get the ball at the 25. So getting 25 yards to get it out to the 28, to me, that's a three yard gain. Uh, not a lot of value in that. Just take it to the 25. Don't, don't take the risks. Uh, and the next is sort of more of the same, uh, 24 yard return to the 26. Uh, you're going to get it at the 25. So to get credited 24 yards for really a one-yard gain, uh, to me, is, uh, I think, sort of flimsy. Uh, Brooks's numbers are similar. Maybe maybe they net out a little bit better. Uh, he had a 19-yard return to the 38. And so that's, an, in my math, that's a net of, of 13. So that's probably a positive uh, return. He had a 14-yard return to the 30. So that's a five-yard plus... I probably would credit that uh, as positive. And then uh, he had a 24-yard return to the 27. So to get credited for 24 yards for what is essentially, you know, essentially a two-yard 
return is a little egregious. So I don't think all of the 116 uh, are empty. Most of them, mm, uh, most is a strong term. Uh, a lot of them are empty yards, but it was neat to kind of break it down. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry actually got a couple of punt returns, but unfortunately they went backwards. Uh, he had two negative six-yard returns, uh, so I hated to see that. Um, I think they were commenting during the game that he still leads the SEC in punt returns, although he hasn't really had a quality punt return in, you know, since September. Uh, but that speaks to just how damn dangerous he was at that time. What happened? I'm speculating the sky kicks and the coverage and, and such. Uh, but damn it, if it's that easy to corral the conference's leading rusher, probably at the time one of the nation's leading uh, punt returners, then why does anybody ever get punt returns? So I, I just the puzzle in my mind, I can't. Uh, it's a Rubik's Cube. I can't solve it. There was a fumble punt return, uh, a fumble recovery on on a punt, a uh, fumble punt by Auburn. Uh, snapper uh, uh, Neyland Hibbert, I, I think his, his eyes got as big as saucers uh, when he saw the ball out. and He was able to corral, corral it and, and recover it. Uh, that was sort of a little bit of a controversial call. Did the Auburn player touch it or not? I think it was you know, you look at the fingers, the, the sort of the pinky and, and sort of the ring finger uh, move with the ball. I, it's hard to tell, although I think they did. Uh, I've seen some speculation or people commenting that you can look and see the trajectory of the ball change just ever so slightly. So I think it probably grazed his finger. Uh, and I'm going to be candid with you. Alabama's had enough bad calls go their way that I'm not going to feel bad if this one goes. Uh, uh you know, goes our way, and especially at Auburn's expense. I mean, come on, what are we talking about here? I don't think it had an outcome of the game, although Alabama did march down to score, uh, which is super nice because we love scoring against Auburn any and every chance we get. And I'm going to be kind of candid with you, right? If you go back and you watch the footage and you just see, you know, Hibbert sort of get the ball and he's like Christmas, his face lights up, can you really take it away from him? Um Again, I have a little fun there, but uh, I think it was a legit call. I don't think that was a gift, although it was, it was it was very close. I think it's one of those, and this is sort of the language of the game anymore, but whatever they call on the field, you have to be able to overturn it upon review, and it has to be conclusive or the play on the field stands. And how many times do we see, and this works for Alabama as much as it works against Alabama, you can cherry pick and whatever you want to do, but the reality is it does it does happen both ways in every game if you're watching uh, football that it looks like it maybe could be possibly opposite of what was called, but not not definitively enough to overturn. And so the in in that way, the play on the field stands. I think this call was in that category that had they called it the other way, it wouldn't have been overturned that way. And so it's whatever they saw in the moment. And it sort of gives a little bit of power back to the, the official, if you will. And I think that was sort of the gist of that one. Uh, what happened in the moment, what was called in the moment is what was stood because there wasn't enough to overturn it. And again, either way. So there you have it. What's next? Honestly, as Alabama fans, we don't know. We don't have a clue. We're at the end of the schedule in a way that is earlier than typically is at the end of the schedule. Uh, we do know the SEC championship game is next week, and we know that the, the opponent from the East is, is, is Georgia. We just know Alabama is not the opponent from the West. And so we've done this enough times 
that at this stage of the season, we do know what's next. We do know that Alabama is going to the SEC uh, title game and that we do know that Alabama is going to get a seed in the playoffs in one, two, three, four, typically one or two. And so Alabama is going to get a seed. And so we kind of know what's next and and we know the SEC opponent and we kind of know the four, five, six teams that are going to get in. We only care about our one or two seeding. And then the rest of it sort of, you know, fills in and we kind of know what's next. And this is a case where as Alabama fans, we honestly don't know uh, what's next. Does Alabama get into the playoff? Does Alabama sneak into the playoff as a four seed and end up playing a team like Georgia or Michigan in round one with probably a full strength team, everyone coming back healthy? It's doubtful, but it's possible. It's within reason. It's within the realm of reason. Uh, again, I think there's a 15% chance, uh, again, depending upon who you're looking at at this point in time. Is Alabama you know, possibly going to a quality bowl against a reputable opponent? Maybe USC, maybe Penn State, maybe a Washington, all 10-win seasons, uh, all 10-win uh, uh, teams. That's much more likely. But then who's going to suit up for Alabama? Those are questions, too. We don't know. We haven't played a game. We haven't played a postseason game where we were not playing with expectancy of full roster in quite a while. And so it's frustrating that these so many of these variables are unknown. And so what we're sort of charged with is an opportunity to just wait. And it's kind of sucks, uh, but it kind of is uh, what it is. And so, again, sort of a PSA, let's just have patience. Let's have reasonably positive expectations. And uh, there's youngsters on the team that are going to get get extra practice, which I would never want to undersell that. And there's going to be an opportunity for the Todd to take the field again to win the, an 11th game. And uh, so let's have uh, a positive expectancy. Uh, wouldn't it be great to sort of back into the playoffs? Absolutely. If we get to go to the Orange Bowl and play a Penn State with most of the team back, you know what? That's damn kind of fun too. So there's really, if we'll allow ourselves to get over ourselves, there's not a bad outcome. There's not a bad thing that's going to happen. We don't have to go to Shreveport and play Iowa State. Shit, I've done that. It sucks. We don't, we're, that's not in our future. That's not in our offing. We're going to get a quality opponent and a quality of bowl, whether it's playoffs or unfortunately not. But there's not a bad outcome. And so we need to sort of maybe get over ourselves, be pleased with uh, what's going to happen because there's good stuff. There's good stuff that's still going to happen. And frankly, when a lot of that gets sorted, the coaching carousel gets sorted. Alabama's going to make some changes in in the coaching sort of switch over. There's a lot positive. Uh, there's a lot positive coming for Alabama. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about our Zoom call predictions. I don't always go back and do these, and today's the exact reason why I don't always go back and do these. So play with me a little bit. Alabama had uh, the final score was 49 to 27. No one predicted that. Wouldn't that have been magnificent? We'd have an easy winner. No one predicted that. And so it becomes like this. How the hell do you figure out what is closest to, you know, this? Uh, and so 49 to 27, which Chip had Alabama scoring 42. So he's the closest to uh, the actual 49 score. But Chip, man, he only gave Auburn seven points. Now, I wish he were right, but he had 42 to seven. So he's closest to the Alabama score, but he's pretty far off. 
uh, on uh, on the Auburn score. And so, all right, I don't know. Does that win? Probably not. Travis, and I love Travis, he's always like, why don't you talk about the score? Because I think he probably wins most of these, frankly, uh, because he's very astute. And he's also the Nick Saban of Dairy Cows. And you got to join the Zoom calls so you can be in on some of that. But at any rate, Travis had 31 to 21. And so he wasn't as close as Chip on the Alabama score, but he was the closest of the eight or nine picks that we've got. He was the closest on the Auburn score. He was allowing Auburn 21 points and they scored 27. So that was the closest uh, in that regard. But then I had, and it just so happens that it was me, there were three people that picked Alabama to have 38 points, which is the second closest after Chip's 48. I had Auburn scoring 14 points, which created a 24-point differential, and the final point differential was 22. And so that was the closest on differential. So, again, this is why I don't do this, because who the hell wins in this kind of situation? Uh, Chip was closest to the Alabama score, 42. uh, Alabama scored 49. Travis was closest to the Auburn score. Uh, He had Auburn scoring 21, and Auburn scored 27. And then I picked 38 to 14, so I wasn't close on anything except for the margin I had was 24, uh, and the true margin was 22, and so I was closest on margin. Uh, and I went back and looked at everyone. There was a couple uh, – John O had 25. A couple guys had uh, uh, 38 for um, – in fact, John O had uh, 28, and Dr. J had 38. 38 and 38 for the Alabama score, which is what I had. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it becomes, again, another Rubik's Cube. It hurts my head. And that's two minutes of your life you don't get back. So sorry about that. But uh, at any rate, we love the Zoom calls. Uh, we love the score predictions. And we love the discussion that they ensue. And so hopefully uh, join the upcoming Zoom calls. We do have a Zoom call uh, for the SEC championship game. Uh, someone started calling them virtual tailgates, which is pretty flipping awesome. That probably sounds more fun to join a virtual tailgate as opposed to a Zoom call because Zoom calls at work are suck. And so come join our virtual tailgate uh, and uh, drinks are welcome. And um, yeah, we need a, we need better marketing. So there we go. Our virtual tailgate Saturday. If you are on the sort of support group list, uh, support group sounds bad too, right? We need a better name for that. It's not a Patreon because we don't use the Patreon platform, but essentially that's what it is. It's just I'm not giving them 25% of the couple of dollars that we collect and all that jazz. So at any rate, uh, maybe I'll call it Patreon. So our our Patreon supporters, our homemade Patreon supporters, uh, if you're on that list and you already have the information for the Zoom, if you don't have it, let me know. I'll send it to you. Uh, if you're not on our homemade Patreon, man, that's going to stick. Uh, if you're not on our homemade Patreon, then gosh, you need to because it's like really cost effective and a whole lot of fun and there's free cool content. Then uh, reach out and we'll get you hooked up with that. And uh, that will be fun as well. All right. You know what to do. Roll Tide, Auburn Iron Bowl win, all that good stuff. And uh, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Say it with me, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a Roll Tide. 
We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days, like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.